Well, here we are, Palm Sunday, the week before the resurrection. And we've journeyed through this Lenten series looking at the promises of Jesus throughout Scripture. We've looked at Jesus' baptism and the promise that God gave in sending his son to us. We examined Jesus going into the temple and flipping the tables and his promise about the new kingdom he was ushering in, a new way to worship. We examined God's rich mercy and grace that he extends to us in saving us and the promise that he's given us in that. And last week we looked at Jesus' willingness to go to the cross and to suffer. His willingness to do that in order that you and I may experience life and life eternal. And today, we're going to finish our last sermon before we celebrate the resurrection, what we've been building up to this entire Lenten season, what we've been preparing our hearts for this Lenten season. Before we jump in today, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the chance to open up your word together this morning. Lord, thank you that you continue to speak through your word each and every time we read it. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to encourage us, to convict us, to guide us in your truths so that we may reflect you more and more each and every day. So Lord, I pray that you would give us open ears and soft hearts to hear what you have to say this morning. May nothing that I say get in the way of what you wish to declare. May your truth reign. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, who here has ever had the experience where you need to go somewhere in your car with someone else and they tell you that you can follow them because you don't know where you're going. And so you hop in your car and you're going to follow the car in front of you. And if you've ever done that, there's two kinds of people who you follow. There's one type that recognizes that they're leading someone and so they're aware that someone is behind them. They make sure they don't drive too fast or get away from you. They make sure that they stop at yellow lights instead of blowing through them and causing you to be left behind. They make sure that you stick together. And if you know who the car is that you're following, it's easy to keep your eyes fixed upon them and maintain your distance with them until you arrive at your destination. The other type of person, though, is not the kind of person you want to follow. They're the person who says, follow me, and they hop in their car and they just take off. And it's like they totally forgot that they told you that you were following them. And you're trying as hard as you can to keep up with them, to stay engaged with them so that you can arrive at the destination that you're going to. And the worst thing that happens when you're following someone is if you lose the person you're following and you don't know where you're going and you're left trying to find your way blindly to a destination that you didn't know where it was. I was thinking about that this week as we talk about following Jesus. And I was in a webinar earlier this week through a church in Portland that was examining what it really means to follow Christ. How do we as Christians, how do we as a church community walk in the footsteps of Jesus? How do we practically follow him? It made me realize that to follow Jesus, we must know who it is we're following. We must recognize what he is like, his qualities, his character, what he did while he walked the earth and what he was like as a king, not only here on earth, but as a king eternally as we see laid out in scripture. If we are to be men and women who follow after Jesus, we must know who he is. We must know who it is we are following or else we will find ourselves lost and confused about where it is we are going and we'll allow ourselves to become distracted by all that is around us that is trying to tell us where we are to go. And so this morning I want to suggest that Matthew gives us a great picture of the kind of king who we are following, of who Jesus is, 
who it is that we can fix our eyes upon and continually follow after so that we never lose our way, so that we are never caught off guard or we are never uh, led astray because our eyes are fixed upon the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So as we celebrate Palm Sunday this morning, if you would open with me to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 21 and looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. A little bit of background information, though, as you pull that up, as you find that spot. So at this point in culture, what's happened here is Rome is ruling Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the Jewish home, has become occupied and ruled by Rome. And the Romans are not allowing any king for the Jews in order to squash any chance of a Jewish uprising. So we look throughout the Old Testament and we see that Israel continually has these kings who come up time and time again. If you've been with us in our Wednesday growth group looking at judges, we've seen how the kings sometimes are good kings, sometimes they're bad kings. And the judges come along to help usher Israel back in to God's grace as he gives them that grace time and time again. Yet Israel continues to fall short of what God calls them to do and who God calls them to be. And the result of this is Israel ends up being in captivity time and time again. And we had the prophet cease to speak for 500 years coming into this time when Jesus enters the scene. And so now we have Israel who is in a Roman-occupied Jerusalem. And no one is enjoying that. No one likes the Romans Roman soldiers are present all around Jerusalem to ensure that the Israelites behave. And this led to the Jewish people despising the Romans who were there. They despised that they ruled over them, and they were eagerly awaiting a time when they would be free. And they knew from the prophecies in their past that a Messiah was to come to set them free. And so most Jews tied that view of the Messiah coming and bringing freedom with freedom from the Roman Empire who was ruling over them at the time, who was oppressing them at the time. So there was a hope that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would free them from Rome. And that's the culture that we enter into in this story as Jesus is doing his life and ministry around Jerusalem. So starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 21, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So we're going to pause right there for a minute. So the location where they find themselves is outside of Jerusalem. It's about two miles to the east on the Mount of Olives. And Matthew is right away giving a significance and a weight to what's occurring here, of what's happening with Jesus as he prepares to come into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has been into Jerusalem before. This is not his first time, but he's coming in this time with a different meaning, with a different intent about his arrival. You see, the Mount of Olives, there was a significance to that place. It was tied to the messianic hopes of a Messiah. They knew that that location was essentially a proclamation of saying, He is here. So the fact that our text starts at that location, at the Mount of Olives, is Matthew's way of pointing to the Messiah being here, of pointing to the Messiah coming. And Jesus sends His disciples out to the nearby village to go and to get this colt, this donkey that they will find. 
This reminds us of Mark chapter 6, verse 7, when Jesus sends out his disciples in groups of two to do ministry. That Jesus doesn't just send one disciple to go and to do this task, but he sends out a pair once again. There's an importance in ministry of working together. There's an accountability in pairs. There's an encouragement. There's protection. And so Jesus sends two of the disciples to complete this task, telling them to go into the village and that once they're there, they will find the donkey tied and the colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. These are clear instructions that Jesus gives his disciples. Now, there are some questions as I was reading about this text that I hadn't heard before. Questions of whether Jesus had pre-prepared the donkey. Whether he had already been into the village and spoken with the owner and arranged for the donkey to be provided for him or whether this is really more of a miraculous event, a prophetic event of what Jesus is doing here. And there is a lot of debate amongst scholars. Both sides will give great reasoning. Some will say, well, of course it was a prophecy. Of course Jesus just knew because he's fully God that there would be a donkey at this spot that he could go and send his disciples to, to get and bring back. And others say, no, there's some elements of Jesus having prepared this beforehand, like the fact that he, you know, would have told them, just let them know that it's needed and they will give it to you. And as I thought about this, as I pondered it, I think that I personally lean towards the miraculous here. As I look at the text and I look at Jesus's words, if he knew the owner of the donkey, if he had prearranged it, I think you would have seen him using the name of the person who he was sending them to. I think he would have said, go into the village and you'll find a donkey that belongs to John and John will let you take it. But the fact that he says if, if, it's, if they come and they ask you anything about it, to give them these words, to say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. I think that Jesus was prophetic in this moment and it was a miraculous thing that Jesus knew where the donkey would be and sent the disciples to go and to retrieve it. And I read in one of the commentaries I was reading, the NIV application, that the cultural background for this response, that phrase, the Lord needs it, that this is when a dignitary could procure the use of someone else's personal property for their use. And this right extended even to people like rabbis. So the request wasn't that unusual that someone in a position of power or someone like a rabbi could procure the use of someone else's item for them. And so I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's sending his disciples into the neighboring village to find this donkey, to bring it back to, the, to him so that he may use it for the purpose that he is going to fulfill. And if we continue in verse 4, we'll see what this is that Jesus is fulfilling. It says in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. So Jesus here is fulfilling the prophecies of Zechariah. Matthew is quoting from the prophet Zechariah as to what is going to happen. And there's really five prophecies that we see fulfilled in this passage by Jesus as he heads into Jerusalem. There's a prophecy that there will be rejoicing and shouting and worship for his arrival, which we will see will occur. There's a prophecy of the entrance of the awaited Messiah going into Jerusalem, which Jesus is about to do. There's the prophecy that he'll be exalted as king, recognized as the king of the Jews, as the chosen one, which occurs in this, in this passage as well. 
The fourth prophecy is that he is lowly, humble, coming to bring salvation to the soul. And this whole passage shows the humility of Jesus as king. And the last prophecy that we see in this text is the fact that he would ride on a colt, on a donkey, which was unusual for an honored king. So in our text today, there are five prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus in his arrival in Jerusalem as he comes in this triumphal entry. And we see clearly here that what Jesus is doing as he's arriving is he is showing that he is the fulfillment of these prophecies, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. You see, Jesus has been going about his ministry. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been working miracles, but he keeps saying the time has not yet come. My hour has not yet arrived, and he tends to continue to tell people as he heals them to go off and to keep it to themselves, to not make a huge deal about who he is yet. But now at this moment, the time has come for Jesus to declare to all that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that they've been waiting for. And Matthew is able to recognize that Jesus does this, that he claims his kingship, that he shows the world that he is the true Messiah who they've been waiting for through fulfilling these prophecies from Zechariah by riding in on a donkey. What humility Jesus shows us. As the king of kings who could have come in with all power and might to come in how Jesus does on a borrowed donkey. What a beautiful picture of humility from our Lord and our Savior. You see, when a king would usually enter a city, They would come in with great fanfare. They would come in riding in a chariot or perhaps a beautiful, large horse, but never a donkey, never a lowly, stubborn donkey. And yet Jesus comes in in that manner. The ESV expository commentary states that a triumphal entry in Jesus' day resembled a victory parade. A general entered a city captured by siege or battle, or a king visited a city in his realm. If a conqueror entered a city, he rode on a war horse or in a chariot, while people walked before and after him in welcome. I don't know if you've ever seen a parade through a city. Like I know when cities have won championships, for instance, in sports, when they do the parades after the Super Bowl for those teams that have won, the parades that come through the city have such fanfare. There's such a big endeavor. There's so much noise and there's so much pomp. In it, And yet, that's how kings would have come into cities as they rode in victory, as they rode proclaiming that they were the king. But like he does time and time again, Jesus turns things upside down. He shows up and brings about a different way of doing things. He doesn't enter into Jerusalem on the biggest horse or in a beautiful gold chariot declaring his kingship. He gets on a donkey. And he rides slowly into the city, declaring his true kingship. A true kingship that isn't based on pride, but is based on humility. What a beautiful picture that our Savior provides for us. Of what humility looks like, even when you are in the right place as king. Even though Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. Even though he would have had every right to come in in the biggest celebration with the most notoriety, with the best horse there was. Jesus shows us what humility looks like in leading. As we continue in verse 6, we see the disciples' response to Jesus' instructions. It tells us in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And I love these two verses because they highlight the obedience of the disciples. The disciples have been given instruction by Jesus. They've been told they're to go into this village and they'll find the donkey. And they don't hesitate. They obey it right away. They follow the instructions that Jesus has laid before them and they do what he asked them to do. Now, perhaps it seemed like foolish instructions to them. Maybe when Jesus first uttered these words that they were to go and find a donkey, the disciples thought, that's an odd request. We're just supposed to go take someone else's donkey? And yet, they obey. You see, sometimes God calls us to do things that may not make sense to us, that may even seem silly to us, and yet our job is to obey. Our job is not to decide what God should do, but to obey his direction, always taking it back to Scripture, always evaluating what God has called us to do based off if it aligns with Scripture. God will never contradict his word, and so if he calls you to do something and it's appropriate within the guides of Scripture— our job is to obey what God calls us to do. Even if it seems silly, even if you don't understand it, that obedience is important. And so the disciples model that for us in their obedience to Christ, in their obedience in retrieving the donkey for Jesus. And they prepare the colt by laying their cloaks on it, and Jesus sits upon the donkey. The donkey, one of the most forgotten characters in this story, and yet such a crucial element one that we don't give a lot of attention to or think a lot about the donkey. And yet the donkey acts as a symbol of peace here in this moment as Jesus is carried by the donkey into Jerusalem. One of the commentaries I was reading made a point about the donkey that I had never thought about, that I thought so interesting. It said it's a marvel that Jesus rides calmly into Jerusalem on an untrained, never-ridden colt. This is a symbolic act. Jesus, master of all, masters this animal. And since no one had previously ridden the animal, this hints that Jesus is king since none but the king could ride a royal mount. I love the thought of that, that not only is Jesus ruler of us, not only is Jesus ruler of the world, but even of the animals, that he was able to ride calmly into Jerusalem on an animal that was untrained, unprepared for that. And if you think about all the noise that surrounds him as he comes in, and animals tend to be spooked by noise, and yet Jesus enters calmly in on this donkey. What a picture of peace. What a picture of his lordship in all areas of life. Well, look with me at the response of the crowd as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, picking up in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, our king, on a donkey proclaiming peace and humility with the confidence that he is Lord no matter how he comes in, no matter what it looks like, that Jesus is Lord and he comes bringing with him peace. This riding in on a donkey depicts a nonviolence 
which was a sign of coming in peace. And that's what Jesus wanted to bring. It wasn't the picture of how the Jews thought that their king would come. It wasn't the way in which they hoped he would come and conquer the Romans. When Jesus mounts this donkey, and not just any donkey, but a purebred colt as Zechariah promised, he presents himself as Israel's promised king. By his actions, he's saying, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Jesus shows that he is the king of kings, the one that they have been waiting for. Maybe not the manner in which they had hoped. Maybe not the way in which they had gone in their minds that their king and their Messiah would show up. But Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, and I am here. And the people respond by laying their cloaks and branches on the road ahead of Jesus, the equivalent to how we would envision a red carpet being laid out at a movie premiere or some important event for those who were the guests of honor to come upon. So the people lay their cloaks and lay the palm branches in the path of Jesus, preparing the way for him. And the crowd gathers and they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. And if you're not familiar with it, that word Hosanna means literally save, please. Commentaries explain that this word could be used by people in two ways. It could be used either as a literal prayer to God to save, as it is used in the Psalms, or it can be heard as an acclamation like God save the queen. But as Jesus comes in, this is how the crowd responds as he rides upon the donkey by declaring Hosanna, the son of David. I love the closing two verses here in 10 and 11, how the city is so stirred up by Jesus coming in. For the Jews, they would have recognized the implications of what Jesus did as he rode in upon the donkey. They would have learned the prophecies. They would have known that the Messiah was to come in this manner. And they would have known that when Jesus comes in on the donkey, with people declaring Hosanna to the Son of God, that Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Messiah that the time is now. This is a bold proclamation for Jesus to make. And the implications of it would have been deep for the people of Israel, hence the excitement. They would have known that the prophesied Messiah had come to save them. And like I said earlier, they would have had ideas in their mind that that would be saving them from Rome. They may not have believed that Jesus was who he said he was, but they would have definitely understood that he was declaring himself the Messiah by his actions. And we see in the text that others ask, who is this? Others who I'm sure are seeing what's occurring, who are hearing the noise, who are hearing the chants of the people, who are wondering, what's going on over there? Who is this person who's riding in on the donkey? And people respond saying, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is one identity of who Jesus is, a prophet from Nazareth and Galilee, but he is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the long-awaited Messiah, and he has declared this today in his actions. What's largely missed by those present is who Jesus really is. You see, the people have in their mind what the Messiah will look like. They have in their mind how he will redeem them, how he will restore Israel to her position of power, how he will overthrow Rome. The people have forgotten, though, their failures. They've forgotten their history of not measuring up to God's standard time and time again. And they've forgotten what true leadership looks like. Luke, in his record of this event, records how when Jesus comes in, he weeps as he approaches Jerusalem. 
If only the people know what would bring them peace. But it's hidden from their eyes. They want a son of David to drive out Rome. Thus the city that hears Hosanna's will call out crucify him a few days later. You see, they wanted a Messiah who would come conquering, who would come with military power and might. And yet, when Jesus arrives in this manner, with humility, arrives to save rather than conquer, the people call out, crucify him. Instead of knowing peace through God's Messiah, they turn to political and military deliverers, rebel, fail, and face the wrath of Rome. Here is their Savior, coming in all humility, coming offering peace, and yet they've allowed what they think is best to block them from seeing who Jesus really is, to block their vision of Jesus inviting them on this path of humility and death. What I don't want for us today is for us to miss who Jesus is, for us to be so caught up thinking that we know what Palm Sunday and Easter are all about, to think that we know what church is or we think we know what we need, that we miss Jesus and all that he offers to us. You see, in Jesus' call to come and to die to ourselves, to follow him as our Lord and Savior, to walk the path that he modeled for us in his death, there is great freedom, yet it's only known in dying to ourselves and following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And if we aren't willing to do that, we'll miss what Jesus has for us. We'll miss the path of humility the path of freedom, the path of peace that he offers us. Jesus offers us a different way of living as he enters into Jerusalem. I want to suggest that he offers us three things in this text today, three things that if we stay focused upon, it will ensure us the ability to walk in the way of Jesus. The first thing is clear in our text. It's that Jesus offers us humility. And constantly throughout the life of Christ, Throughout the Gospels picture of Jesus, we see how Jesus will shift the paradigm of what is expected, of how things perhaps were or what people would think they should be. As he comes not in might but in humility, as, and he brings not the military but brings about peace. And our lives too should reflect Christ's rule in our hearts. Our lives too should reflect the humility of Christ as we seek to follow him. As we are followers of Christ, as we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we should seek to becoming more and more humble. Our pride should not be in ourselves, but in who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior and what he accomplished in our lives. I am a sinner saved by grace, and this fact alone should cause me to be humbled, should cause all of us to be humble as we move forward. I want to share with you a quote from Corey Tenboom, and I've used it before, but it's so good that I wanted to read it again. Corey Tenboom was once asked if it were difficult for her to remain humble, and her reply was simple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of the donkey that it was all for him. She continued, If I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all praise and all the honor. Jesus brings the way of humility riding upon the donkey. 
What does it look for like, what does it look like for us to practice humility in our lives? I think it's giving Christ credit for his role in our lives, for what he has accomplished in our lives. It's recognizing that we are simply vessels to be used by God. And it's looking for ways to allow God to use us. And when he does, it's giving him the glory for it. It's remembering that we are simply tools to be used by the Lord. And that our role is to honor and glorify him as he works through and in us. The second thing that I believe that we're offered in this passage is that Jesus offers us peace. A peace unlike any other that is found in Christ alone. And that peace is so unique and it's so beautiful. And I found an illustration that I think gives a picture of what it looks like when we have peace in Christ as he offers it to us. During the French War, there was a train that was carrying dispatches to the headquarters And it was compelled to go over 60 miles of very rough tracks before it reached its destination within an hour. The engineer was the bearer of the dispatches and his wife and children were in the coach of the train. Every moment threatened to pitch the train over the embarkment or over a bridge. And as it rolled from side to side, leaping at times almost as into the air, rushing past stations, few people inside held their breath and often cried out with terror as it sped along. But there was one on that train who knew nothing of the fear, and that was the child of the engineer. Happy as a bird, she laughed aloud when asked if she were not afraid, and looked up and answered, why? My father is at the engine. And a little later, the engineer came into the car to cheer up his wife, and as he wiped the great drops of sweat from his face, the child leaped into his arms and laid her head upon his bosom, as happy and peaceful as when at home. What a lesson for the children of the Heavenly Father. You see, when we know that God is in control, when we trust Him, we know that He can accomplish all things that He desires. And when we are walking in His will, we can have peace, even in the midst of turmoil. The Jews were being oppressed. They were being ruled over by the Romans. And yet Jesus comes bringing with Him peace. What a gift that He proclaims. Do you know the peace of the humble Jesus? Jesus gives us a picture here today as he rides into Jerusalem of what that peace looks like. Even in the midst of the turmoil of Roman occupation, that he gives peace. This peace of prayer, the peace of solitude that we see modeled in the life of Christ, the peace of trusting God is in control. One will never fully know peace until they know the person and the character of Jesus. And so in his proclamation as Messiah today, he gives us that ability to know peace through him as our humble Lord and Savior. And the last thing that Jesus offers us is hope. As Jesus proclaims his Messiahship, he brings about hope for the future. Hope in the faithfulness of God's promises that each and every time God gives us his word, he is faithful and true to his word. And even though when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it was misconstrued in the moment, they had hoped he came with power and might, Jesus still comes as king. And our hope is still found today in the fact that Jesus has come and that he is king. In his time on earth, Jesus pointed to the reality of the fact that he was king and that he would not only rule Rome one day, but he ruled all as king. And we know that as Jesus ascended into heaven, 
He promised that he would return again, that he would come back one day, and that in his death and resurrection, he has defeated death once and for all. And this gives us great hope. It gives us a hope in who Jesus is. It gives us a hope looking forward to when he returns again. While Jesus came on a donkey in our passage today, when others would have expected him to come on a war horse, we also know that he will return with power and might, riding a great horse one day as he brings about judgment. Look at what Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword of which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, even though Jesus comes in humility, even though he shows us what it looks like to be a humble king, he is still ruler of all. He is still God of God and Lord of Lords. And until this day when he comes again, we must remember that we celebrate the gentle, humble Jesus who comes on a donkey. That as he comes in on Palm Sunday, he comes in not slaying his foes, but dying for them. To give us a chance at forgiveness for our sins. To go to the cross and die a humble death so that we may experience life in him. To offer the salvation to the world so that we may turn to him before that day when he comes and returns again. So as we head into Holy Week, this one last week to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's resurrection, may we take time to reflect this week on our Savior. May we examine the path which he took, the sacrifices that he made, the way in which he showed love to each and every one of us. And may we remember this morning that we worship the one true God who rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And may our lives be given to him as our Lord. May we spread out our lives uh, before him as a sign of respect and honor to be used by Jesus for his glory. And may we as his humble servants bring him honor and glory. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way in which you have cared for us. Lord, for the way in which you have modeled what it looks like to live with humility, even as the king. So Lord, I pray that our lives would embody these characteristics that you led with, that we would have humility in our lives. Lord, that we would use all that we have to point to you, to reflect you to others, so that you would be glorified. Lord, when we fall short, when we make mistakes, when we make it about ourselves, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, when we think that we know best, Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to refocus our eyes upon you. 
to fix our eyes upon you, our Lord and Savior, and to follow after you with all that we have, trusting that you know best, trusting that your way is greater than any other way, and knowing that you care for us and that you love each one of us. And we thank you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.